Welcome to the Permaculture for the Future podcast. I'm your host, Josh Robinson. The world is full of negative news, and the planet seems to be in an ecological crisis. And this can be downright disheartening and disenfranchising because we feel that there's nothing that each one of us can do as an individual that can make any difference. Well, I'm here to provide a different perspective, to tell a new story. The Permaculture for the Future podcast is all about spreading positive and impactful stories, tips, and ways that each one of us can transition into a regenerative lifestyle where we can make an ecological impact. We talk about simple ways to make lifestyle changes as we interview authors, teachers, and other folks that are collectively healing ourselves and the planet. So if you want to make an ecological impact, stick around because this podcast is for you. Welcome to episode 14 of the Permaculture for the Future podcast. On today's show, we're continuing with this theme, looking at the coronavirus and how to respond to our local conditions that are showing that we just need more diversity in our food supply, bringing it back to the local level. And over the past few shows, we've talked a lot about gardening and getting gardens going, which are fantastic for being able to have some backup food supply and not just backup food supply, but being able to provide high-density nutrition while simultaneously solving climate problems which we've talked about in past episodes. But on today's show, I wanted to look a little bit deeper into the realm of raising small animals quickly as a means for food supply. So on today's show, I'm joined by Francesca Duval, who's the head chicken wrangler at Alchemist Farm in Sebastopol, California. Now, Francesca is always tinkering with genetics and pushing the edges of what's possible in the world of egg color and textures of eggs. She believes that beautifully colored eggs capture the imagination of humans and gently invite them to ask where their food comes from. Alchemist Farm is a humane chicken and quail hatchery that is pioneering a marriage of humane treatment of poultry with regenerative agriculture. Francesca's farm demonstrates that family business can thrive while doing right ecologically with a little creativity and a lot of heart. Now, on today's show, we're going to jump into the realm not of chickens, but of quail. And I think quail have a lot of really amazing possibilities when it comes to essentially quick food production, uh, especially when you compare it with chickens. So on today's show, we're going to talk about everything about getting started with quail. So if you've been ever interested in this, and even now if you're looking at, well, chickens are going to take so long to get eggs from, maybe quail could be a viable alternative, especially since most of our chicken hatcheries have been running out of chicks as the demand has quite surged throughout the uh, uh, United States. And I'm assuming other parts in the world where Uh, you're also being affected by the coronavirus. So on today's show, we're going to talk about everything from hutch design to food and water systems to just what it takes to, you know, raise quail at the small level. 
And hint, there's a lot of really amazing things. I can't wait to try this out myself. This has been a topic that I've been interested in for years, but just haven't been uh, in the right spot or the right time to add something like quail. Um, But as soon as we move, that's definitely going to be one of our first animals that we're going to incorporate back onto the farm. All right. Well, I'll see you back at the end. Enjoy the show. Welcome, Francesca, to the podcast. I'm so excited that we get to have you on the show today to talk about a subject that I've been really wanting to learn more about for myself. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be really interested in this as well. And so today, can you just talk a little bit about who you are and some of the work that you've been doing? Yeah. So I am the head chicken wrangler and quail wrangler of Alchemist Farm in Sebastopol. We're a humane hatchery that focuses on humane treatment of our birds from the moment they hatch until all the way up when they're out in the pasture laying eggs for us. We're unique because none of our male chicks are killed here upon hatch, like they are larger scale hatcheries. And we try and focus on reverence for the life that we're creating every step of the way from the moment they hatch until going out into the fields. None of our birds are in breeding cages. They're all out on pasture. And we're working with a regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming model of seeing where that that nexus is of chickens and soil health and trying to make ourselves a demonstration farm as well as a hatchery of what's possible in the world of poultry and, and regenerative agriculture as a whole. So we, we do a lot. Yeah, incredible. I mean, that sounds like you have your hands full and you also have oh, a yes. couple kids. <laughs> yeah. so, so doing all this and then... How long have you been raising uh, chickens and quail? I've had chickens in my life, my whole life, but as a profession for the last eight years. Eight years. Quail, quail I brought in five years ago. I've always wanted to have them, but just had to have the right time to de- dedicate to them. And we've been working with them for the past five years and just loving what we're seeing from them because they're a totally different journey than chickens are. Yeah. And that's really what I wanted to get into today because as we were just talking about With this whole pandemic, a lot of people are really starting to question the the main kind of story around our food system. And they're realizing how fragile that is when, you know, something like a health crisis happens and how that is basically affecting everything from our food supply to like just goods in general. And there's been a huge movement that I've seen, which is actually really uplifting over the last few weeks is more and more people are getting into gardening and raising their own food, whether that's, you know, vegetables or animals. And I mean, seed companies are selling out and then chicken hatcheries are also selling out. And what I thought would be really interesting to talk about were some of these other animals that people aren't necessarily familiar with. And quail really came to mind because they can fit into so many spaces and they come into burying so much quicker than chickens. So to start off, can you just describe some of the... You're hitting all of it there. Okay. And what are some of the other just pros of going with quail, for instance, over chickens? The space is the main main issue there. Mm -hmm. So I view quail as this great equalizer because so many people feel like you have to have like home, home on the range, acres and acres for chickens, you know, but you, you don't 
need that for chickens. And you also can have something even smaller, even just an apartment complex with a little balcony to be able to raise quail because quail are the complete opposite as chickens in that they want to be confined. They can't be free ranging out in a pasture like chickens want to because they are a prey animal. And so they get very fearful. If you see quail in the wild, they're always skittering in between brush piles and they're looking for cover constantly. So they want to be in something like a rabbit style hutch. And when I first worked with, with quail, I'm all about like free ranging everything, giving it as much space as I can. And so I did that with the quail and they hated it. And so it was so good for me to see as a breeder and someone who's all about giving the best possible to the animals that sometimes what we think as humans is the best isn't what the animals actually want quail want to be in a smaller space they like to be in something like a rabbit style hutch they lay better in there they thrive their health is better and so you can have them in a really small space oh that's really interesting that's not something i've necessarily thought about i mean i've looked at a lot of different systems when it comes to quail and i mean you definitely see like those rabbit style hutches and then there are a number of people that have been that i've kind of been watching and reading about that are implementing maybe some like pin style kind of things or, you know, like a quail tractor or something like that. But what you're saying in your experience is they actually seem to thrive both like from a health perspective and would you say quality of life? I mean, how does that kind of work in your experience? So quality of life and productivity. Uh, any animal is only going to be productive if it has excess, if it has the ability, same like humans, right? Like we can, we can become pregnant if we're, if we're healthy. It's the same with, with, the, with the chickens or the quail. They will provide you lots of eggs if all these other basic boxes are ticked of safety, enough food and water, and then having their emotional needs met. And quail are a very fearful creature. And I originally wanted to pasture them in tractors. And so I had them on the ground in grass and all open sides with a lid on the top. So they would be able to like get some sunshine in half of it and the other half of it was open. And what I found is that anytime a neighborhood cat would walk by or a dog walked by, all of the quail would totally jump up, freak out and give themselves heart attacks. And so I started to like box up the sides so they couldn't look out the sides, but they were still on grass. And I was still giving them like the opening on the lid. And then a hawk would come down and look in on them. And then the hawk looking in on them would totally freak them out. And so I learned like, nope, my idea of how these animals need to be cared for is totally wrong. They want to be in a cocoony womb-like space. And in that womb-like space, you can still be giving them the dust bath once a week, the clean food, the clean water, the clippings from your yard or your garden, grass, anything that you'd be giving them on pasture, but you're just giving it to them in that contained safe space. And that's why they're such a great candidate for people with a small space. Yeah. That, it's that it's, makes a lot it's of what sense. the animals want. And so it's being respectful of them. You're not just using them, like enslaving them to give you eggs. You're actually meeting their emotional needs. Okay. Yeah. I so appreciate that, that perspective and insight of, of somebody who's tried out a lot of different things here, you know, cause a lot of people when they, you know, particularly, I think people that are interested in permaculture and interested in kind of working with natural systems, when they want something like an animal, they don't want to feel like it's put into a cage, but you know, in this perspective, it's like you're offering protection for this particular animal. And it's kind of what they, they want, giving them a, like a safe spot where they, can feel grounded and, and able to to do what they want to do. 
Exactly. And within yeah. that, you're giving them the best care possible of giving them the dust bath, of giving them the greens and everything else. So you're still giving them everything they want and need. And there's only there's certain breeds that you need to go for. You wouldn't want to catch a wild quail and then try and put it in that kind of a situation. You need to be working with a quail that's been bred to be domesticated. Great. So along those lines, would you say that's the the like the Japanese Coternix quail? Is that what you particularly work with? Or Yep. Exactly. Uh-huh. We work with the pharaoh coternics because they're very docile. They prefer to be in that smaller environment. They've been domesticated over hundreds and hundreds of years selected for it. You wouldn't want to have them and then release them into the wild around you because they wouldn't survive. They don't have the same instincts as a wild quail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they've essentially been bred for like hundreds of years, no? Or- oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of years to coexist with humans. And this is, for a lot of people, it's a relatively new concept, but all over the world, if you look at it, you'll see small-scale uh, animal husbandry all over the place. People keep being like guinea pigs in South America in their kitchen or the ceramic chicken. It's no bigger than like a, a little Coke can and people keep that in, in their kitchens in Malaysia. You know, it's just, uh, it's just not what we see commonly here. Maybe with rabbits, but just yeah. not poultry. Yeah. Let's get into some of like the the beginnings and basics for raising quail. So for somebody that is wanting to get started, I mean, can you talk about just the process of, you know, whether you're starting from eggs and hatching things out on your own or, you know, buying chicks and, and starting that way? What, what do you recommend? It all depends on where you're located and what you have access to. We are not shipping quail chicks right now because of USPS delays with all of our chick shipments, and they're just more fragile. Mm -hmm. So if you are within driving distance of someone who is breeding and hatching them, definitely go for hatchlings. And if you're not, then you can have fertile hatching eggs shipped to you. Okay. And so for that, do you need an incubator or? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely want to get an incubator and there's many different types out there. Um, I, I, I'm really big into zero waste and being plastic free. I do not love styrofoam at all, but this is the one time that I would recommend styrofoam is a particular incubator that I think is a really good starter incubator for anybody that can be used for chicken, quail, duck. It's called the Hubibator Genesis 1588. Okay. It's really specific. I'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, we have a we have an Amazon list that we compiled with all different um, heat lamp things and feeders and waters and incubators and things like that. And I never want to support Amazon, but it's it's nice just to have the list there so people can see what it is. And then if you can pick it up from your local feed store, of course, do that. But at least the list lets people see what it is. Yeah, great. Well, that sounds like an incredible resource. So I'll just send you the list. Perfect. Okay, so. Let's say then we're starting with eggs and we have our incubator. What what's kind of the next step? Well, incubating them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a lot of sorry, that's tongue in cheek. A lot of people have this idea that you have to take the egg straight from the hen and keep it warm, or else it's not going to incubate properly. But a laid fertile egg can be stored for two weeks before it's put in an incubator, and oh. it'll still potentially hatch. Wow. Okay. Mother Nature is really cool that way. Yeah. Uh, it's the same with breeding. A hen that has been bred to a rooster can hold on to fertility for two weeks, laying eggs for two weeks. So she only needs to be with a rooster once, which is pretty cool. Wow. So a fertile egg, when you collect it, you can think of it like a, like a packet of pancake mix that you're getting from the grocery store. Like it doesn't turn into a pancake until you add the other ingredients. Okay. It's the same with a fertile egg. It won't start incubating 
until you add humidity, heat, and time from an incubator. Okay. And that process takes about how long then once you put them into the incubator? 19 days. 19 days. It's like clockwork. Nature's perfect. Fancy that. Uh Uh-huh. And so when you start to get little chicks hatching out, do you, like when you're keeping chickens, do you put them into some sort of kind of brooder? Absolutely. They are small, small, small. And when you get them, there's two processes for incubation. There's the incubation period, and then there's the lockdown period where the humidity and temperature is different for both. This is some really intense nitty gritty. We have an online quail keeping course. If people, after they listen to this, are interested in like really diving into all the little aspects of it, because it would be too much to explain here. Mm-hmm. But maybe we could link that in the notes too, if you do want to incubate your own and know how to do it properly. Yeah. But just for the overview, after 19 days, after they've incubated and then they've hatched, you want to put them directly into a brooder because they're very fragile and small. Mm-hmm. And they're so soft and so fast. Everything about a quail in general is fast. From the moment they start hatching, they are taking off. They run so fast. Like a human, you know, it takes us forever to open our eyes and roll over. Quail, no, no. They're like, Mm -hmm. they're so fast running around. So you have to put almost the whole incubator inside of the brooder because if you open the lid, they're jumping out and running all over the counter. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you this then. So for people that are maybe not familiar with even what like you uh, a brooder is, would it be similar to what you could do for like chickens or it could just be like essentially like a Rubbermaid kind of tote with a heat lamp to one yep. side? Yeah. A brooder is the in-between space from the moment that they hatch into their eventual housing. So okay. it's the same for quail chicks as it is for chickens. The size of the brooder depends on how many you have. The, the quality of the heat depends on how many you have and what you have access to. I always favor a heat lamp over other heating sources because you can really control the temperature well that way. You can raise it or lower it. Mm-hmm. A heat lamp is the only dangerous part about raising poultry because if it's not secure and it falls into the pine shavings or the substrate below, it can cause a fire. So I always tell people, zip tie it triple tight and mm-hmm. then you're fine. Okay, good words to live by there. I guess I've never <laughs> thought about that side of it. <laughs> That's the only dangerous part. You yeah. Know? Okay. Everything else is pretty simple. So they're in the brooder and then they're in the brooder for that first moment of hatch until about three weeks. Okay. And then at three weeks, you can move them into their hutch or wherever you're deciding to keep them. Yep. Depending on where the hutch is and what your temperatures are, where you live. They're not fully grown until six weeks, but at three weeks, they have their full feathers. Okay. And so they're no longer downy fluff and they can insulate themselves. Now, quail... I mean, they essentially come into, you know, bearing again, like at, is it six weeks or seven weeks? So yes. That- if they're fully feeling safe and no predators are looking in at them, that's why I'm favoring like a raised hutch to put them in, not directly on the ground. Um, if no predators are looking in on them and they have plenty of food and water and no other emotional stressors, like kids giving them too many love squeezes and things like that, they will start laying at six weeks. Wow. Any extra males can be processed between six and nine weeks, depending on when you want to process them. If you are of that homesteading persuasion and want to be closing the loop in your protein sources, I really favor quail for that because they're going to be laying eggs quickly. If you do have an incubator for yourself, say you order a box of hatching eggs from us, Mm -hmm. you hatch them. Great. You have your quail six weeks later, you're saving some fertile eggs for yourself and you can just be continuing to hatch constantly creating food and eggs for your family at a really sustainable clip. Yeah, that, I mean, you you cannot 
I don't think get any faster of, you know, potential meat production or eggs. I mean, no. chicken, chickens, it's at least six to eight months before you get that first egg and yes, quite a bit different with quail and yes. again, being able to raise them in small spaces. I think there's a huge advantage there. They're also very easy to process compared to other poultry. You could take a quail from living until being able to be chilled in your refrigerator within five minutes. Wow. So you've been at it a while. You've learned some uh, tricks there. What What's kind of your, I mean, without getting into too much detail, what's kind of your process uh, in that area? Well, of course, being respectful to the animal, number one. Mm-hmm. You know, I was trained as a midwife before I was a farmer. And so all of the energy going into my hands was about giving life. And it wasn't until I became a farmer that taking life was also part of the job. It's an important piece if you're raising and hatching for yourself because not every hatchling turns out perfect. Mm-hmm. In nature, you know, those hatchlings would just pass away quickly and naturally from a predator. But if we're creating this this environment for them, these these animals that are born with some sort of lack would suffer. And so suddenly that life-giving force that was coming out of my hands was very different. It was a, a, being a midwife of death as well. Mm-hmm. And so you have to get comfortable with that if you're going to be raising your own birds or hatching your own because that's always a possibility and we have we have the responsibility of caring for that life and sometimes it means taking it so when it came to processing the animals of course it's hard emotionally mm-hmm. but we've raised the animals with integrity and we've honored their lives along the way and it's so much better than what's happening in 99.9% of the world with meat production oh for sure i mean that's it's kind of a point that i often want to make with people particularly if they eat meat is if you don't know that source or have ever gone through the actual process of you know taking an animal from living into you know your dinner plate you have to experience what that is like because it is you know there's a reverence there and there's there's a challenge that you have to kind of get over just emotionally and and because of that, I think it makes you very much more respect the food that is on your table. And you can see that into your other realms there. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. It's working with my uh, daughter over the last few months. We ended up getting a few roosters and currently we're in the city and it's like we can't have roosters. And so having to, to go through that with her and, you know, she wouldn't participate, but she was watching and, and being very respectful in, in that realm. She wouldn't eat any of the chickens, but, <laughs> you know, she was she was there and, and got to at least, you know, see that for herself and, and kind of knows now like what, you know, when you go to the grocery store, what has kind of gone behind the scenes there. Yeah. It's so powerful to see. And if everybody does the process at least once, I know a lot of us would have a very different take in the meat that we do source and how much of it we eat. Yeah, I think so. for sure. That's why I always recommend it at least once. And quail are a really great bird to at least try it on because they're not, from a technical and just mechanical standpoint, they're not as sinewy and large as a rooster. Mm -hmm. uh, everything about them is very tender and supple if you're raising roosters for me you're going to be stewing that bird no matter how you raise it you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like unless you're like caponizing it and that's a whole new level of of skill yeah so quail you don't need to do any of those things too and they are going to be actually like meat that you would want to eat at the table just you know prepared like a normal 
piece of meat that you buy from the grocery store. So mm. they're great for that as well. Mm-hmm. With children, my seven-year-old and my three-year-old, if we're ever processing a group of birds, we'll sit and watch and it's only as weird as we adults make it. Yeah. And if we're just explaining the whole process and why we're doing it and because we do eat meat and showing the whole process and make it more of a science learning of here's all the parts of the animal, you know, let's look at the lungs. Here's the heart. My daughter loves eating the quail hearts. It's her mm. favorite part. We like make little skewers and it's not mm-hmm. weird. It's just a natural process of what's happening. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit then as we get into, you know, raising the the quail themselves and kind of what some of their main needs are. So it's like, it sounds like security and having a good uh, setup where they're going to feel protected. But what's kind of like the day-to-day? So in terms of like feed and water and just health and all of that kind of stuff look like? Everything about a quail is fast. So from the moment they hatch, they're running fast to the first eggs laid, to the amount of feed that they eat and how much they poop. They're going to be so much faster than chickens in many ways. So whatever kind of housing you set up for them, you want to be thinking about making it very easy to clean, very easy for them to access food on a consistent basis, very easy for the water to be constantly clean because they like to run around. If anybody's listened to this who's owned chickens and you have a chicken waterer on the ground, you know that it gets dirty often. We've moved to having gravity-fed nipple water systems for our chickens Mm -hmm. because it keeps the water cleaner. It also conserves water. In California, that's always something on the forefront of our mind, being responsible with the resources we've been given, particularly water. So we we view the quail the same. How can we automate these systems by giving them gravity-fed waters? Quail don't like the nipple systems like chickens. They prefer gravity-fed little cups. So Mm -hmm. you can find these little plastic cups at any kind of feed supply store, and you can secure it to the inside of whatever their enclosure is with a bucket that's, you know, sitting on another bucket outside of it or on top of whatever your hutch is. There's no perfect solution for housing. The best solution is whatever works for your space, as long as you're cutting down on the amount of chores that you're giving yourself with the animals while giving them consistent clean water and food, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the water side, I mean, I've, I've definitely preferred the, the nipples over just an open container for cleanliness. And mm-hmm. then what you're saying is with the quail, uh, using more of those cup uh, waterers. So it's to just try to describe that over the audio here. I mean, that would basically be about the size of like a teaspoon or tablespoon, right? And it just kind of slowly fills up water into that little yes they're about a quarter of a cup each oh okay and then there's a little it looks like a a little tongue that comes out and rests above the reservoir and each time the bird comes down to drink out of the reservoir they gently tap the tongue with their head and then more water is released down into the reservoir the reservoirs are red and they're designed that way to attract the quail all poultry is attracted to the color red they can see it easily And so you want to use the red ones and then they have a clip on the backside and that's going to connect to the, to whatever the housing is. You could, you could glue it, you could screw it. If you have wire anywhere, you could weave it into the wire. Okay. That's very helpful. And then in terms of, uh, kind of some of the other hutch considerations there, uh, what's, what's the average kind of space that a quail would need or, you know, would you call it a flock of quail or what's the Covey. Covey. All right. Covey. There is a word. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) A covey of quail. So I like to give them a lot of space. 
So I'm doing more than a square foot per bird. And a lot of people will do, you know, there's so many different ways to raise quail and so many different theories out there. Uh And quail are not generally recognized as something that people want to raise. And so it's hard to find the good information. So we're really forging our own new path on how to raise them and how much space they need. Mm-hmm. I do over a square foot per quail because they do like to be in constant contact with each other. Okay. The so square foot per if quail. If you give them too much space, they get freaked out. Yep. So wherever you're going to be doing your hutch, think about that. So they have enough room to move around. It also can't be too tall because when quail get startled, as I mentioned before, their reaction is to pop like popcorn straight up. Mm. If it's, it either needs to be like five feet tall and like a huge aviary that you're creating with like a nice sand bottom and like a little like brush pile in the middle that you're probably going to be crawling through to get your Easter eggs every day when you're like hunting for them because they lay kind of willy nilly, you know, they Mm -hmm. don't lay in a nesting box like chickens. Okay. If you're doing a big aviary like that, then you want to have the sides covered so predators can't look in on them again. If you're going back to the smaller hutch, like we're talking about, then a square foot per bird, and you want it to either be short, so like 18 inches tall, okay, or really tall, like okay. three feet and above. Otherwise, if it's in between and they popcorn up, they can break their little necks, oh. which is so sad. Yeah, yeah. I've had so much trial and error. Okay. Well, that's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me streamline it for you all. Go it off of those dimensions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So keeping it about 18 inches tall or going up to about five feet. And then the bottom of these are, do you use a mesh or do you have a solid kind of slatted floor? What's your preferred system there? There's so many different ways to do it. And it all depends on what's realistic for you and how often you're going to be tending to these birds. Mm -hmm. If you know that you can't get in there every day and clean it, then you want to have like a plywood half. And then the other half is going to be some sort of a wire that lets the droppings come down into a lower pan. It's important to give the birds some sort of rest on their feet. Uh It's not great for them to constantly be on wire. But if you do half wire, half plywood, and you put the food over on the plywood side, and then maybe a little nesting area on the plywood side where maybe you signal, okay, this is where you hang out. Hopefully you're pooping over there. And maybe you put the waterers over where the wire is, where they're over there drinking and then pooping a little bit more. And then you know you still need to go into there to the plywood side and scrape it off. Okay. And then the wire itself, I'm imagining because quail are so small that you have to use pretty small wire. Do you use like a quarter inch hardware cloth or what's your preferred wire? So the quarter inch hardware cloth is a little rough on the bottom of their feet. You'd want to have something that has like a coating on it, like a like a smooth nickel coating. Okay. And I, I've seen it where it's not the squares. If it's the small hardware cloth squares, it's really hard for droppings to fall through. Got it. You'd want to be having parallel? Yes, parallel lines. Oh, okay. So what do they call that wire? Is that aviary wire or? Aviary wire is more of a hexagonal pattern. Okay. I'm trying to know the exact name of it and it's escaping me. This is terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, give me the technical info and I don't have it. No, I mean, I'll, I'll try to look around and see if I can't link that into the, to the show notes. Um, mm-hmm. But okay. If you can't find the wire, you can just do a full plywood bottom. That of course would be the ideal. You'd want to be giving them the plywood bottom because then no predator can pull them through. You want to do some sort of mesh on the side so they can get 
plenty of ventilation and breathing. Mm-hmm. And if you do the mesh on the sides, that is what you need to have as hardware cloth because you anything aviary wire would work. Mm-hmm. Anything bigger than aviary wire, poultry wire is really improperly named because it's too wide. Mm-hmm. A weasel can get in there, a snake, a rat, all sorts of things. Uh, a raccoon can get some fingers in there and try and pull the quail through. Yeah. Predators have nothing but time to try and get your animals. Yeah. While you're sleeping, they're watching. So yeah. hardware cloth is the best. Okay. And then I'm assuming having some sort of like, if, if at least if they're outdoors, having like a solid roof on there, just yes. rain and everything. Oh. Yes. They're, they're really sensitive to drafts and wind. They will not lay if wind is blowing in on them. Oh, okay. So, so ideally it would be a hutch with a lid with three covered sides and the very front would be hardware cloth. And in that very front, you would have an access door that's big enough for you to be able to get your hand, your arm in without the whole front of it opening up. Because if the whole front of it opens up, they're just going to like jump out and gleefully run around and be confused and not know what they're doing. And then you're chasing them. And that's a funny sight. Yeah. Yeah. You could also, if you wanted to have them be in the hutch during the night where they're safe and then put them in a tractor during the day. And if you're tractoring them, just make sure you're putting it in the garden where you're near them. Okay. That way there's no hawks that are landing on them. That way the neighborhood cat isn't bothering them. When I was tractoring them, I had them in the tractor 24 seven and it wasn't the right move. They also don't like their feet to be wet. If there was any kind of rain, it really disturbed them. Okay. So you could have your tractor with them hanging out in the garden with you. They don't have the same roosting instinct. So you don't want them to just be like free ranging in the garden with you unless it's fully enclosed with a deer fence or something like that. That isn't wide enough for them to get out of, but mm-hmm. you will have to go hunting for them because okay. they're not going to follow you around like a chicken will, but uh-huh. they, they would play in garden beds for sure. Or in a greenhouse, they would love it. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's, so, that's good to know. Yeah. So if you have a small cubby like that, then I would be actively managing them like that with a solid plywood floor, ditch the wire altogether, and then be putting some pine shavings in the bottom so it's easier to clean. The pine shavings and their droppings are going to make really great compost. Okay. And with your particular system, I mean, are you changing out those shavings every day or how yes. often? Okay. And then how much do you tend to put in there? About a half inch deep okay. of shavings. For me, it's like six handfuls. Okay, but what does that mean to you? <laughs> like, you know, because the size of your of your space is going to be totally different. So yeah. a half inch. Half inch. Okay. Now, can you do them like you would with chickens? I know like, you know, if you have an enclosed area, doing something like a deep litter uh, is really beneficial. Have you experienced that with quail or would that nope. be too much? Way too think? much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their droppings are really high in ammonia. And so it can really quickly o- become overwhelming and poor for their respiratory health because everything with them moves so quickly okay. and because they're producing so fast everything. Mm-hmm. So okay. you want to, you want to be on top of cleaning it every day. Okay. And I bring up the wire for people who know that they can't be on top of cleaning it every day. Then you'd want half of it to be wire to give yourself like an extra day or maybe once a week, but you'll, you'll know based on the size and how many quail you have, what needs to be happening. If you don't want to stick your bare hand in the floor where they're walking around, then you know it needs to be clean. Okay. Like there's no perfect formula. And I know that's really annoying because everybody has a different setup yeah. and different space constrictions mm-hmm. and a different desire for how many quail are going to be in a space. Okay. Well, let's talk about feeding quail. So, you know, how does that compare to say like chickens? 
It all depends on what you want to raise them for. Okay. If you're raising them for eggs, it's a different protein than it would be for if you're raising them for meat. Okay. So let's talk about that. What, what first, are the main differences? First three weeks of their life, cross the board, you're going to want to give them 20% protein. After that three weeks, if you're going to be raising them for eggs, you want to drop it down to 14 to 16% protein. Okay. If you're raising them for meat, then you'd want to keep it at 20% plus so that they bulk up by that six to eight week mark when you process them. Okay. So, you know, for people that maybe have never raised uh, any type of poultry before, is this going to be as simple as just going to the their local feed store and picking up a bag of, of you know, something? I mean, because you don't see necessarily like quail feed there. Are you mixing up your own um, feed sources? I don't do fermented feed or things like that. A lot of people spend a lot of time really nitty-grittying and on their feed. And mm-hmm. that's that's going to be a project for me in the future. I've been ticking other boxes as I go along. The feed is something I'm really going to refine later. Right now, we have access to a really great um, grain mill that's close to us. And they have really good mixes of their chick and their adult layer feed. And so I don't have to tinker with it too much. Got it. it all depends on what you have access to in your area. A lot of people will feed game bird feed or mix from the feed store, but I don't think it's necessary. Okay. You can totally feed them chicken feed and okay. it's fine. The only thing to consider about the chicken feed is you got to pay attention to the protein source if it's the 20% or not. Okay. Well, that's, so, that's helpful. So you can use the same essential feed as what you would feed chickens. The only downside about that is that it'll be a little higher in calcium than the quail need. Mm. And the only thing that that's going to affect is the male's fertility. Oh. Their sperm ducts will calcify. Oh, okay. So again, this is crazy nitty gritty. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I guess if people want to like research more of that, they can kind of get some more information maybe from your course and and not. But for most people, they could just basically feed chicken feed and that would totally be fine. Yes. Okay. Just just pay attention to how much protein it is and ask yourself what you want to be raising them for. Yeah. For the first three weeks, the quail are really small and even a chick mash that's going to be kind of fine and gritty, you're going to want to grind it up into a powder for them. Oh, okay. Otherwise, they're just going to waste any of the other pieces of cracked grain that are in there. Uh We're all about just trying not to waste. So yeah, grind it up. Okay. So grinding it up. And then do quail also... I mean, they're mainly seed and kind of foragers, right? I mean, do they also supplement with greens or does that, you know, play into it at all? You're going to have to teach them to eat the greens. Okay. And at first, they're not going to know what to do because they've been domesticated. And most of them have just been raised for eons on grain. But after they see the free choice that you have available to them, they'll start going for it. Okay. And with like, you know, when you raise chickens, you know, chickens are eating lots of greens, like the yolks end up super bright orange. Are you seeing that with quail as well? Yes, absolutely. Oh, nice. Okay. So don't be discouraged when you give them some different greens or different scraps. They'll just not, they'll just run over it and not eat it, but just keep offering it. And over time, they'll get excited, especially if you're sticking it in a little bit higher and not just on the ground or maybe dangling it from the top, they'll get curious and want to play with it. And then they'll start eating it. And once one sees it's delicious and the others will follow suit. <laughs> Fun. Okay. Or if, or if they're running around in the garden, then they'll slowly be picking around at things. And it's it's really so heartening and sweet to see them running around in a garden 
or in a tractor close to you in the garden where they're safe. Because when they feel safe and they're doing all sorts of cute things and a, a dust bathing quail is such a happy quail and it's a really cute sight. Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, that's that's been one of the draws, I think, for looking at quail is just like how dang cute they are. <laughs> <laughs> they're cute. And quiet. I mean, I think this also seems like an opportunity for people that might even live in an area where it could be illegal to raise chickens because they're in the city. And, and But quail seem like it's something you can almost hide. And even if they're in their backyard, they're so quiet compared to chickens, even hens. I mean, when they lay an egg, it's like they let you know. Whereas quail seem to just make these quieter, like cooing noises that are almost soothing. <laughs> It is. It's really soothing to be out near them. The roosters do crow and they'll crow all day long, not during the night, but it's not a crow like a rooster. It sounds like an old bluegrass saw that is played underwater. It's like this whoop, 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 sound. It's <laughs> yeah, really cute. Which I think a lot of people might even mistake for like a pigeon or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. But the, the females, no, they don't make any kind of loud sounds at all. And they, they will talk and they'll chatter at you. A female quail can go broody and want to raise her own clutch of chicks, which would be the most darling thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about say, you know, if, if somebody's raising their own quail and they're, you know, we got their feed down, we got their water down, we got their hutch down. And we talked a little bit about some of just the daily maintenance and making sure everything's clean. Um, what are some of the, you know, potential things that might arise just in your day to day of dealing with uh, quail? As long as you have that, the height taken care of, then you're not going to walk out to any perished quail mm-hmm. of them accidentally hurting their necks. The issues of them laying eggs and having a hard time passing their eggs is something that we're consciously aware of. And it's part of our breeding program of breeding down because sometimes a quail will get egg bound if the egg is a little too big for them to pass. The ferrocaternix that we work with is a jumbo ferrocaternix. Mm-hmm. So they have the capacity of getting very large but we're consciously breeding them and hatching eggs that are smaller because we want them to be able to pass the eggs easier and in safety. Mm -hmm. So every now and again, a quail could get egg bound and you have to be very ginger and very careful with them. If you're going to be helping them with that, a little soak in an Epsom salt bath on their backside, and you might have to help them lay the egg. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a process, Mm -hmm. but you might have to do that. That's rare but just putting it out there. People don't know what's going on with their quail. Quail also, because everything about them is really fast, they don't live for very long. Even in the best scenario and in the best uh, situation that you're giving them, they're only going to live two years. Okay. So it's good to know that. And how long like, if, would they, you, the females continue to lay eggs? I mean, do they kind of like taper off that? You know, nope. a, no, right they just keep going. Un- right up until the day they pass. Wow. Okay. And they just they just go offline. It's it's really incredible. And I, I think it's because in the wild there's such a prey small animal that they they're they're very prolific and they're getting eaten so rapidly by the wildlife. I doubt you would ever find a quail that's two years old in the wild. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we care for them, we're we're giving them this this unnatural, wonderful environment. Yeah. But two years is the max that you're going to be be getting from them and so they just lay right right up until it 
I haven't, I haven't had to deal with any issues of disease or mites or lice or things like that, just because we're really on top of our biosecurity here. Okay. And are really clean with all our practices with the quail. And if you're not mixing your different uh, poultry species, you shouldn't have any issues with them. Okay. So they tend to be pretty, pretty resistant to a lot of, you know, issues that tend to be out there. Okay. Yeah. I think it is because they, they are in an enclosed environment too. So -hmm. there's not, wild birds can't access them. And as long as you're on top of cleaning their space and there's not droppings that they're constantly having to walk over or that's in their water or their food, that's why I favor that gravity fed water, then you're just not going to have issues with disease. Okay. Well, that's all just like, I mean, the more that I'm talking to you about quail, it's like the more that I'm wanting to get, get some. And can we just talk about eggs for a bit? Um, I want to kind of compare that with, say, a chicken egg. You know, I know they're quite a bit smaller. Um, but like in terms of like how often that they lay and, and all of that, what are you seeing there? So, like, they lay you know, with the same frequency as a chicken. Okay. So they'll lay five to six eggs a week. Five to six eggs a week. And they want 14 hours of daylight to lay just like a chicken. Okay. So in the spring and the summer, they'll be very prolific. If it's raining and cold and there's not enough light, they won't be laying that day. Got it. I do not put supplemental light on my chickens because chicken can live for 14 years. And when you put supplemental light on them and don't give them that natural break during the wintertime, it shortens their life. Mm. They need that break. Quail, since they live for such a short period of time, I do not feel that it is inhumane to give them supplemental light because you're not shortening their life. Light or no, two years is like the mark for quail. Okay. And so if you're needing to produce food for your family, I think it's totally fine to be giving them supplemental light. Okay. If you want to do that, it's not necessary, but if you're wanting eggs year round, then they will produce eggs for you year round and it does not stress them out. And that could just be a simple light bulb that you're putting out there on kind of like the darker yes. uh, times. Yeah. A simple light bulb. And I always recommend doing it um, from the moment it's dusk until whatever the 14 hours of daylight would be. So if it's dusk till like 11 p.m., keep it on a timer and then have it kick off at 11 p.m. so that they have that natural, okay, it's nighttime, as opposed to having it kick on artificially at like 3 a.m. or something. Yeah. They're like, what's this? Totally. Yeah. Then yeah. that's a really abrupt sunrise. Mm-hmm. So instead, it's it's more of an abrupt sunset, but that feels less jarring than an abrupt sunrise to me. Okay. Um, now, in terms of eggs, I mean, so most people that have maybe seen quail eggs are used to kind of like these smaller eggs that are kind of a cream color with a number of darker splotches or for lack of a better word there. Um, on them. But I know from watching some of the things that you guys have been doing there at the farm, I mean, you guys are getting all sorts of amazing colors that have, you know, been developed by this selective breeding. Can you talk a little bit about that and some of the colors that you are working on there? Eggs and color really get us excited. We are always pushing the envelope of different colors and textures and speckles that our chickens and our quail can lay because that's what helps people ask the question of where their food comes from and how it's treated along the way and why they don't normally see those colors or textures in the grocery store. It's such a gentle invitation into starting those conversations 
that can uh, really open people's eyes to what's happening in the greater food system. So on the surface of what we do as a farm, people will first be drawn in by all the beautiful eggs. And then as they start reading our social media posts or through our website, they'll see, oh my gosh, there's a whole other world here of other possibilities. So uh, the colorful eggs are kind of like our ambassadors for ecological and social justice. And mm-hmm. the quail, the quail are, are no different from the chicken in that. What they, the quality of the eggs and the color of the eggs they lay are, are gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There's two different types we work with. The ferrocaternics, which we've been chatting about here mostly, which will lay the brown speckled eggs. And then the alchemist blue celadon quail, which are also a type of caternics. They're domesticated, but they'll lay a blue speckled egg that almost looks like this amazing robin's Easter egg. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'll link to some of the pictures because those photos are just like, I mean, they almost look fake when you're looking at it. It's like, who who painted that egg? And here you are, you've been selecting that. And so what was that? What was that process like for you? How did you guys end up with blue eggs? Well, over time, you can start to see patterns in the different quail and chicken, you know, you'll see Eureka, this one hen is laying this amazing, beautiful, cool egg. And so you hatch that one and then more of that one. And then you try and pair it with something that's similar and over and over and over, you're creating a spiral breeding program with enough genetic diversity to create viable offspring. So it's a years in the making process to create any of these fun new colors, but it's what keeps us happy and tinkering and and going because we feel like we're breeding beauty. Mm-hmm. I'm a terrible artist. I can't draw, paint, or anything, but I can create colors. And so that's like my artistic gift in the world. Yeah. And I think that's so important. You know, like I think everybody's like artistic expressions come in different forms. And so some people, you know, it's it's the actual painting or drawing. In your case, it's eggs. And, you know, other people, it might be just how they choose to plant or, you know, work with the ecosystems in a way that just like harmonizes things. And I think that's really important and and also meaningful work because it gets, keeps you going and keeps you excited about that kind of uh, work. So what do you see is kind of like next in store for your breeding projects? Oh, we're always seeing what the hens are giving us. Mm -hmm. And most recently with the quail, they've been some of them producing these insanely gorgeous turquoise eggs So the alchemist blues will lay these kind of like robin's egg blue with speckles and the pharaoh caternix will lay those brown speckles. But then we've been seeing these crazy deep, deep turquoise. And so we're trying to isolate that because that's just such a wild, outrageous color that the chickens don't lay. Mm -hmm. And so slowly, ever so slowly, we're working with a little group. And once we have enough genetic viability that we can offer those out into the world. So that's, that's future projects on the quail. All right. Wonderful. Well, I think we covered a lot of ground here. Is there anything that I'm missing in terms of like, you know, getting people out there to start raising their own quail that we haven't talked about? The the two different types of quail that we work with, the pharaoh and the alchemist blues, the pharaoh, they'll reveal their gender at three weeks. The alchemist blues don't. And so if you're just looking for a straight, I'm looking for meat and eggs, homesteading, Got to got to get some protein happening. Quail go for the ferrocaternics, because then at that three week mark, you can separate the males out from the females. An ideal group would be seven females to one male. Okay, that's any important. more males in the group, and they can start to be really aggressive with each other. Mm. We breed for temperament here with our chickens and quail, and so if we see any kind of aggressive behavior with the quail towards each other, the aggressive ones go to freezer camp because we we're not going to breed for that. 
And it's the same with our roosters of our chickens too. You know, mm-hmm. I've got 35 roosters here and my three-year-old can walk up to any of them and pick them up. Nice. And it's because we've selected for that because I'm not going to have some mean bird out there like trying to attack me and I'm just giving it some love. It's crazy. And I don't yeah. want to be putting that in other people's backyards too. Exactly. Okay. And if, for people that want to get in touch with you and, and learn more about some of your work, including the online classes that you have, where can they go for more information? Alchemistfarm.com, where you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Alchemist Farm. And we've got a lot of fun informational videos there, everything from chicken and quail keeping to zero waste, reducing your carbon footprint, hopefully some positive energy being put out into the world right now with everything that we're all going through. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure people got a lot out of this and I hope we'll see a lot more people out there starting to raise some quail and hitting you up for some beautiful blue eggs. (laughs) We look forward to helping folks. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up our conversation with Francesca of Alchemist Farms talking all about quail. I hope you got something out of it. I know I did. I am even more excited to get out there and try raising quail. I've had years of experience with chickens, but quail have always been something that have gotten me so excited uh, just from their small little sizes, the ability to put them into smaller spaces that you couldn't always have for chickens. Chickens are great if you have space, but oftentimes there's a, there are some limitations, whether it's the six to eight months before you get eggs or the fact that they're just going to require you know, a little bit more space. They're not going to be suitable if you're in an apartment. Whereas something like quail much in the same way that rabbits are, they can fit into much smaller spaces. And in fact, as Francesca mentioned, they actually thrive in smaller spaces, that it makes them feel secure, that they lay more eggs. That was something I wasn't quite familiar with before our conversation. Now, if you're somebody that's already raising quail, I would love to hear from you. Drop me a line and let me know how it's been working out for you. What have been some of the things that have really worked? What are some of the things that are holding you back? Uh, I'm really interested in hearing from more people about how they've incorporated quail into their own gardens and food systems. Now, if you want to learn more about raising quail, you can jump over to Alchemist Farm's website where they have an online class walking you through everything that's needed to start and raise quail from, you know, raising them up to even harvesting them if you're going down the meat route. I highly recommend it. Uh, Francesca is somebody that has a lot of experience raising quail and somebody that's actually putting intention behind the way that they're raising their animals. It's a very beautiful thing and I can't recommend her highly enough. I'll link to that workshop in the show notes today. The show notes can be found at permaculturefortheFuture.com slash episode 14. That's permaculturefortheFuture.com slash episode 14. And if you're digging the show, jump over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps us reach a wider audience. All right. See you next week. In the meantime, get out there and do some good. <laughs>